0: Hello and welcome to edition number 1859 of the Whitney Talking News which we're recording at home as we're still not back into the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney. It's Thursday the 8th of April and I'm Nigel James and I've edited this edition. Rob Oxpring is at the Technical Controls and reading this evening we have Peter Brading, Valerie Palmer, Angela James and myself. Now, our items this week come from the Whitney Gazette, two weeks worth, and the Hanborough Herald. So let's have our first story, which is about the Oxford-Whitney-Carterton rail link, and this is going to be read by Angela.
1: Potential for new oxford Ensham whitney carterton rail link. The new Whitney-Oxford transport group proposal for the oxford Ensham whitney carterton rail link has got cross-party support. The County Council voted unanimously to consider undertaking a feasibility study for the plans. WOTG is about to submit the plans to request funds for the study from the Department for Transport's Restoring Your Railway Fund. This is potentially very good news for Hamburg, Freeland, North Lee, as the new rail link would profoundly diminish traffic along the 4095 from Whitney to Carterton and Ensham Garden Village to Hanborough station. The group campaigning for the new railway link between Oxford and Whitney has warned its future could be in jeopardy if land is not set aside for new stations. The Whitney to Oxford Rail Transport Group has been campaigning for a rail link following the A40 for years. It has recently submitted a bid for government cash which must help to make plans for the route with stations at Ensham, Whitney and Carterton a reality. But Charlie Maynard, a spokesman for the group, warned the scheme's proposed route could be in danger if it is not set aside. Speaking to a meeting of county councillors, Mr Maynard said, plans for the A40 duelling is due to be finalised over the last few months there currently is no formally protected rail route in the A-40 plans. Without formal route protection, it is almost certain the A-40 duelling project would block off a future rail route to Whitney and Carterton. Work to duel the A-40 between Whitney and Oxford has been given approval and some work to the Oxford end of the road near the Wolvercote roundabout begun. Mr Maynard added, The proposed ancient park and ride, given planning permission at the start of March, would be the perfect place for a station and that city council officers had agreed with this.
0: Thank you, Angela. Our next story stays with the A40, but um, a little way along the A40 and is about junction plans after a decade and is going to be read by Peter.
2: Yes, the heading is Junction Plan After Decade. Work on a junction at the centre of a 10-year campaign could start next year. The former Mayor of Whitney, Duncan Enright, has led calls to see the A40 junction in East Whitney, over Oxford Hill, turned into a four-way junction. Now, Oxfordshire County Council says a scheme for the Shores Green Junction has been analysed, with a preferred option on how it will be built now identified. A spokesperson for the County Council said, The Access to Whitney Shores Green Scheme has reached the end of its feasibility stage, during which over 20 alternative options have been thoroughly reviewed and assessed. A preferred option has now been identified, and engineering and environmental consultants have been commissioned to progress the design. The project will be funded by a combination of Housing Growth Deal funding and Section 106 contributions from developments in the Whitney area. More than a thousand people signed an online petition for a four-way junction at Shores Green, with Mr. Enright saying it would reduce air pollution and traffic in the town. He added that the proposed costs had gone from about £4.5 million pounds to over £13 million pounds in the last decade, saying... We have seen this Junction get stuck in traffic repeatedly and we can't let it get put back further because the funds have been spent elsewhere. The Junction has got to go ahead as soon as possible. Thank you, Peter. Our next story
0: moves from Whitney to Woodstock, where we hear about a nature reserve project. And this is going to be read by Valerie.
3: Yes, the nature reserve project getting step closer for Watermeadow. A local nature reserve LNR could soon be declared after a decision was made to delegate the power to a council. Woodstock Town Council has formally requested that West Oxfordshire District Council WODC give it the authority to declare an LNR at Woodstock Watermeadows. The district approved the request during a cabinet meeting. An LNR is a protected area of land designated by a local authority because of its local special natural interest and, where possible, educational and community value. During a meeting in October, the Town Council approved a motion to designate Woodstock Water Meadows as an LNR. Cherry Carruthers, Woodstock Town Clerk, said The water meadows were granted to the town in a charter of King Henry VI, dated May 24th, 1453. Whilst the Town Council is committed to retaining the natural characteristics of the area, there is a need for regular maintenance, particularly the requirement to keep to reasonable levels of the amount of Himalayan balsam, which, if left unattended, could swamp other plant life in the meadow. In the recent WODC meeting, the Cabinet agreed to delegate power to Woodstock Town Council. WODC can recommend a site for the designation of a local nature reserve, but doesn't have the authority to grant it. That authority has to come from Natural England. David Harvey, Cabinet Member for Climate Change at WODC added It's all part and parcel of our work to enhance the natural environment and boost biodiversity. The item was quickly agreed by the Cabinet, with little discussion by councillors. Woodstock Water Meadows covers five and a half hectares of land situated on the floodplain of the River Glyme. Since June 2016, the Witchwood project has been contracted to manage the site On behalf of Woodstock Town Council. Since then the charity has hosted open days and talks, undertaken bird surveys and maintained paths to provide access for the public. It has also recruited volunteers to help with the removal of the non-native Himalayan balsam. The meadows have in fact in recent times been grazed by dexter cattle to help control the Himalayan balsam.
0: Thank you, Valerie. We now have uh, three short items which are going to be read
2: by Peter. Yes, the, the first item is headed, taxpayers face a 40 pence increase on bills for next year. The average taxpayer in Whitney will pay about 40 pence a month more from April the 1st. The decision to increase the precept payment by 3% was agreed by Whitney Town Council and will see a rise of £4.64 this year for a Band D property. Precept takes into account budgeting for projects, including work on the Corn Exchange, at cemeteries and the Christmas lights display. Ineligible for government grants, the Council has also lost income as a result of coronavirus, while it said the forecast for running its services for 2021-22 cannot be anticipated due to the pandemic. Leader of the Council Lucy Ashbourne said, I'm proud that despite the challenges the last year has thrown at us and the resultant funding difficulties, Whitney Town Council is only raising its council tax by around 10 pence a week. This will not only allow us to continue providing our services, but also to expand what we can offer to the people of Whitney at a time when our community needs it the most and to carry on with the many exciting developments that are in the pipeline. The second item is headed TUI, closing 48 branches. Britain's biggest travel agency, TUI, is to close another 48 high street branches, affecting 273 staff. The company has branches in Cowley, Abingdon, Didcot, Whitney and Bicester. It said the way people buy holidays had changed. All colleagues at risk of redundancy will be offered roles in other stores where there are vacancies or in the new Homeworking Retail and Contact Centre team, it said. 2e closed 166 shops last July due to the pandemic, nearly a third of its total. And the last item is headed COVID-19 testing for all. Health Secretary Mass Hancock has announced that everyone in England will be entitled to twice-weekly COVID testing. From Friday, people will be able to get a rapid test whether they have symptoms or not. So far, it has only been available to those most at risk and people who need to leave home for work, such as frontline NHS workers and care home staff, schoolchildren and their families. Mr Hancock tweeted, Reclaiming our lost freedoms and getting back to normal? hinges on us all getting tested regularly. Thank you Peter.
0: And now we're back to Valerie again who's got an article about Cotswold Wildlife Park.
3: Yes, wildlife park animals are pining for visitors. Pining animals at Cotswold Wildlife Park are being prepared for the planned return of the public on April the 12th. Staff are being encouraged to walk around, sometimes with their dogs, after keepers suspected that the primates and more intelligent animals were missing the stimulation of seeing people. Meetsu, a Sifako lemur, now spends his days swinging over to a tree overlooking the car park, trying to catch a glimpse of humans who are no longer there. Park curator Jamie Craig said, he loves observing people. When the car park is full, he's just watching it all day long. You can see he misses it. We've had quite a lot of work going on in the lockdown. When we've had diggers or machinery in the car park, it makes his day. He's absolutely delighted. Keepers are also closely watching Dora, a rhino born on June the 21st, who has had little interaction with humans. Mr. Craig added, in a lot of ways, we'll need to be careful. Young rhinos normally play up for a crowd. They come out and explore. But it might be a bit of a shock for her, getting used to all this at once.
0: Thank you, Valerie. And now we come back to that thorny subject of the coronavirus and a COVID testing centre. And this article is going to be read by Angela.
1: MP among first up at new COVID test centre. A new COVID-19 testing centre has opened in Carterton. Browns Hall opened as a symptom-free testing site on Monday. Whitney MP Robert Courts was among the first to be tested ahead of its official opening alongside West Oxford District Council leader Michelle Meade. Both took a lateral flow test to help site staff prepare for the opening with their negative results available in under an hour. Mr Courts said This site is going to play an important role in helping to keep local infection rates low and I encourage everyone eligible to get tested to help protect their community. People will be able to book an appointment if they work or volunteer in a role where they have close contact with people outside their household and do not have access to a workplace testing. The site will be open six days a week between 8.30am and 7pm and 8.30am to 12.30pm on a Saturday. Tests are free and can be booked through the Oxfordshire County Council website.
0: Thank you, Angela. Now, we all like to have a whinge occasionally and we've got a slightly quirky poem, which is going to be read by Peter, called And Another Thing. Thank you, Peter.
2: And another thing indeed. There are some things I have to get off my chest. It's those little things that really offend. There's more serious stuff in the world, I confess. But they really make the red mist descend. So what is it that conspires to cause me distress? Well, logic defying sports people give 110%. Endless action replays while the game is in progress. Local news telling me about choppy waters in Solent. Why am artists forever trapped in a glass box? Why? The last track on every copy of a CD called a bonus. DJs interrupting a classic song just to say, Hi, football is in agony and suddenly okay because no one's noticed. H pronounced H instead of H really annoys me. The dictionary is quite clear that is H every day. Documentaries that keep telling me what I'm about to see and selfish unauthorised parking in disabled bays. The epidemic of theatrical coughing when the lights go down. Critics who seem to dislike every film they review. Casual swearing, idling cars when there's no one around. Mind-numbing surveys asking, how was the experience for you? People who confuse conversation with a monologue. McCartney simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Drivers who can clearly see round bends in the fog. Poems that try too hard to rhyme. There's the film you've enjoyed when the credits begin where the shouty woman yells stuff over the music. And no point waiting to find out who was in it, because the names are squished and microscopic. Small talk that goes on a bit too long. People who go shopping in their dressing gown. And did I say that H as H is just plain wrong? I'll be all right soon. I'm just off for a lie down. And the credit for that is from... Devolved.
0: Thank you Peter. I hope you feel better for that. Now back to Valerie again for a, a piece about a local lockdown hero that Mr. Motivator is backing. Thank you, Valerie.
3: Lockdown hero Mr. Motivator backs Charities Trek Challenge. The nation's favourite fitness instructor, Mr. Motivator, is backing a Whitney Charities fundraising challenge. Derek Evans found fame in the 1990s for his appearances on GMTV performing fitness sessions using the Mr. Motivator tag. Mr Evans, who was born in Jamaica, has now lent his support to Whitney-based charity Guideposts as it seeks to raise £25,000. In a video posted on the Guideposts YouTube channel, Mr Evans says Those raising funds for Guideposts are going to be walking, running, cycling, clocking up miles as they go. All those miles will get added together and hopefully it will get us all the way round the world. The aim of Guideposts Global Challenge is to encourage people to get fit while also raising important funds. This will be achieved by people exercising and logging their miles with the overall goal to rack up 21,976 miles, enough to travel across the globe. Since its launch last month, 26 fundraisers and one dog have covered more than 635 miles, raising £1,560. Through a range of services, Guideposts helps people gain access to support opportunities and skills. The charity supports some of the most disadvantaged groups in society, including children and adults with additional needs and disabilities, people with mental health problems and older people with dementia. More than 70 members of staff at the charity support approximately 840 vulnerable people each month. For details, See guidepost.org.uk slash global hyphen challenge.
0: Thank you, Valerie. And we're now going to hear a piece from TNF Soundings about the new 50 pound note and the tactile um, elements that they're actually introducing into that note. TNF Soundings, features from across the UK.
4: Hello, this is Anna with news about the new £50 note to be launched in June 2021 and how its design will help you identify the note if you're visually impaired. The Bank of England has confirmed that its new £50 note will include tactile features to help visually impaired people know the value of the note when they handle it. This will be the third English banknote to include clusters of raised dots in the design to help you tell the notes apart. Much of the news coverage of the new £50 note so far has centered on the visual elements of the design, which features World War II codebreaker Alan Turing, whose work to break the Enigma code helped shorten the war. In addition to his skills as a codebreaker, Alan Turing was also a leading mathematician and a pioneer in the field of computer science. The new £50 note is the latest note to be made of polymer a thin, flexible plastic material, which will last longer than the old-style paper notes. The polymer material also allows the Bank of England to build in security features that make the notes difficult to counterfeit. Security features include two windows and a two-colour foil. There is also a hologram image which changes between the words 50 and pounds when tilting the note from side to side. However, if you are blind or have limited vision, you will want to look out for some of the tactile security features. On the front of the new £50 notes, you will be able to feel raised print, for example, on the words Bank of England. Perhaps more important if you're visually impaired will be the raised dots in the top left-hand corner of the new note. Four clusters of raised dots will indicate you have a £50 note. The more clusters of dots you can feel in that top left-hand corner of a note, the higher the value of the note. The four clusters of raised dots in the £50 note compare to the polymer £20 note released last year, which has three clusters of raised dots. The polymer £10 note released in 2017 has two clusters of raised dots. The polymer £5 note released in 2016 has no raised dots, but the fact that it will be the only polymer note without dots will enable you to distinguish it from the other higher value notes. The new £50 note will officially enter circulation from the 23rd of June 2021. You will also be able to carry on using paper £50 notes as usual after that date, if you have any. The Bank of England will give at least six months' notice before withdrawing the old paper £50 notes. To mark the inclusion of codebreaker Alan Turing on the new £50 note, the Bank of England has collaborated with GCHQ to create a set of codebreaking puzzles. GCHQ claim it is their hardest ever puzzle. If you want to join in, you'll need to crack the answers to 12 puzzles, each one increasing in difficulty. You can find the puzzles online at tnflink.uk slash 10c. That's tnflink.uk slash 10c.
0: TNF Soundings Thank you. And now we have five short pieces which are going to be read by Angela.
1: Toya set to headline Aston's first festival. Punk princess Toya Wilcox is the Saturday night headliner at the first music festival to be held in the village of Aston. Astonbury will take place from August 20th to the 22nd. There'll be two stages, a full bar, serving real ale and cider food free activities, free parking and camping close to the West Oxfordshire site. Organisers who are looking for volunteers will be donating to Cancer Research, Aston and Cope Community Trust and MIND. Jobs hope at new depot. Up to 90 jobs will be created when a new Chevron traffic management depot opens near Whitney. Facilities employees based in Wantage and Blackboughton will be relocated to the depot at Stanton Harcourt Industrial Estate. Matt West, Client Director at Chevron, said, We will have greater capacity and capability to develop new and stronger partnerships. Heritage Heroes Award Volunteers at a Roman Villa have been praised for their work in the past 12 months. The group of 25 volunteers at the North Lee Roman Villa were finalists at the Heritage Alliance's Heritage Heroes Awards. The group has worked to promote the site as a resource for well-being and education during the pandemic. Warning of an HMRC Scam Police have warned about a new HMRC scam. Fraudsters have sent messages and called people out of the blue, pretending to be from the government service. Officers said criminals are looking to take advantage of the end of the tax year, which was yesterday. The texts and emails appear to be from HMRC claiming you're due a tax refund. O-tax? Or urging you to provide your personal and financial information. Writing in an alert, Thames Valley Police said, it is okay to say no to unsolicited offers or of help or requests. And an accidental fire concern. Firefighters have warned people about accidentally setting fire to their home. Oxford Fire and Rescue Service Warned in a TVP alert, smoking-related fires are the biggest killers in accidental fires. Cigarettes and other smoking products cause a quarter of all accidental fire fatalities in the home.
0: Thank you, Angela. And now, quiz time. First of all, we'll have the answers to the quiz that was set two weeks ago um, by Debbie. The first question was, who is the Roman goddess of spring? And the answer is, Flora. Question two was, who composed the Four Seasons? And the answer is, Vilvaldi. And question three, the song Younger Than Springtime features in which Rodgers and Hammerstein's musical? And the answer is,
1: South Pacific.
0: Question four, which poet wrote the following lines? oh to be in england now that april's here and the answer robert browning and question five what name is given to the sunday before easter and the answer is
1: palm sunday
0: and that brings us to this week's quiz question one in the foot what is more commonly the more common name for the hallux question two who painted at the Moulin Rouge. Question three, the name of which month is derived from the Latin for 10? Question four, in the Winnie the Pooh stories, what kind of animal is Rue? Question five, Addis Ababa is the capital of which country? And the answers to those questions will be given to you next week. And now we come on to a an item which i f- first thought said primark 65th anniversary but in closer inspection it actually says pair mark 65th anniversary and this will be read to you by valerie thank you valerie
3: yes a couple celebrating 65 years of marriage have revealed what it takes to sustain a happy and healthy relationship Don and Janet Deeney are looking forward to the big day on Friday, although lockdown restrictions mean the couple will be celebrating on their own. The Whitney duo met at a dance in Fulkins when Mr. Deeney was on leave from the army. A fortnight after meeting, Mr. Deeney went to Egypt with the forces and did not see Mrs. Deeney for 18 months. I wrote to her every day, although she didn't, So it was a bit one-sided really, the 87-year-old quipped. When I came back, we met up again and got together shortly afterwards. There's a lot of give and take. I give and Janet takes. Mrs. Deeney, 88, added, It's remarkable how long we've been married. It all comes down to trust, caring for each other and acknowledging that you won't always agree. I couldn't manage without him and I hope he couldn't be without me. We haven't planned anything for this year. Don is shielding and you've got to be careful. Maybe later on in the year everyone can come together again and we can have a party to celebrate. The couple have spent the vast majority of their married marriage in the same family home, moving to Whitney in March 1965. The passage of time has given them three children, Chris, Mark and Catherine, as well as nine grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. The family have all kept in touch virtually over the past 12 months with Mrs. Deeney leading the way with her computer skills. Son Mark Deeney said, They're both very giving people, but the biggest secret is that they just keep going. They never sit still and they're always doing something. They're both very good at technology, so we'll all see each other on Zoom for the anniversary. We'll be able to see them when restrictions do start to loosen. They've been very cautious and stuck to the rules rigidly. In 2012, Don was named Citizen of the Year by Whitney Town Council, after more than 20 years of welfare work that Mr Deeney undertook for the Royal British Legion.
0: Thank you Valerie. Our next item is uh, going to be read by Peter and is about a village pub that's about to be run by the boss of the brewery.
2: Village pub is to be run by boss of brewery. A pub which is the centre of village life in Chadlington is under new management and set for an overhaul. The tight inn has been bought by brewery company Oxfordshire Inns Limited. It plans to extend the limited opening hours, improve the internal layout and equipment, and add an outdoor cooking area. It will also introduce music and comedy events to the pub's calendar. The management team includes Jason Chipchase, who is owner and CEO of Chadlington Brewery, which has supplied the pub for many years. The 17th century village pub, which was derelict 10 years ago, has immaculate gardens and a chocolate box setting. It won Cameras North Oxfordshire pub of the year in 2005. It also became well known for hosting eccentric events, such as Easter egg rolling, including a dad's category where contraptions such as rockets and trebuchets were used, adult pantomimes, charity bike rides, and the great brook run, which the tight still hosts. In 2007, the pub was taken over by Kitty and Robert Dyke and became a successful gastropub before falling into a rapid decline and eventually closing its doors in 2010. A group of residents looked into buying it as a village co-op, as Chadlington Quality Foods had been in the 1990s, But the plan stumbled because of the complexities. In 2012, David Pye and Anne Griffin stepped in and completely refurbished the rundown building. Chris Field, director of Christie Finance, which orchestrated the deal and secured funding for the purchase said, not only will this give Jason, who is the proud owner of Chadlington Brewery, a fantastic platform from which he can sell his beer but also an opportunity to acquire one of the most idyllic pubs in the Cotswolds.
0: Thank you, Peter. And now we come to our reflection. And again, this is a reflection by Frank Topping, a well-known broadcaster and writer. As it's entitled, Who is Listening? I saw two people walking, talking with great animation, both of them speaking at the same time. Could they hear each other? Or were they just talking and not listening? Would one say, tomorrow? But I told you, yesterday. And the other reply, did you? I don't remember that. Beneath the chatter and the flow of cliches about the weather, the football and last night's TV, are people saying things that I do not want to hear. Beneath the banter of lunchtime, are cries for help drowned in the coffee, Is there a scream I cannot hear, behind the tired smiles and the shouts of, see you in the morning? Friends talk without hearing. Committees talk and no one listens. Families talk and no one pays any attention. The lonely weep, but their neighbours are deaf. In the high street, God himself speaks of his love. Every day he offers eternal life but his voice is lost in the roar of the traffic. Lord, forgive me that I choose not to hear, hear the voices that disturb me. Help me to hear when someone sighs, to notice the face and see the eyes, to be aware, to be sensitive to the silent shout of a friend in need. Teach me to hear between the words, open my inward ear so that I will hear your voice when you speak to me remind me again and again that you are always listening and now we come on to an item about blenheim palace and this one's entitled a sculptor's tribute and is going to be read by peter
2: sculptors sculptor's tribute to churchill for blenheim display sculptor jethro jethro crab is creating a life-size waxwork of winston churchill as part of a major new exhibition on the wartime leader The figure will take pride of place in the Blenheim Palace showcase about the Prime Minister's life which is due to open in May. Mr. Crabbe said, assembling the figure, hyper-realistic wax portrait and hands and dressing it in the appropriate clothes, is the moment when everything comes together for the first time. It is my aim to create a figure so realistic that there is a moment when it when it gives the illusion that it might almost come alive. Initially carved out of clay, the head is covered in silicon to make a mould, which is filled with a special formula of wax. As well as being Churchill's birthplace, Blenheim is also where he proposed to his future wife, Clementine. In addition to Churchill, the Surrey Hills-based artist, has created waxwork figures of US President Joe Biden and Donald Trump for the National Presidential Waxwork Museum in America. To make the figure as authentic as possible, designers are working with Churchill's original tailor, hat, glasses, and shoemakers to create bespoke items made to his own measurements. The waxwork is part of the new attraction that is being designed and built by M, E, and C Creative. It is one of a series of new features set to open later this year as part of a 1.9 million pound investment programme. Palace itself remains closed under current restrictions.
0: Thank you, Peter. Our next article uh, is about Downton fans and will be read by Angela.
1: Downton's fans help pay for high tech hub in real world, lo- world location. Downton Abbey fans are partly paying for a project to transform a village community hub in Bampton. The old grammar school, a filming location for the hit series, will soon be reconstructed with new stairs, fitting out of the top floor and the complete restoration and updating of the ground floor. There'll be a new exhibition space, a computerised archive, a larger shop and a state-of-the-art library. Although there has been a huge fundraising effort, organisers said the arrival of the period drama and the visitors it brought was a great game changer. Bampton doubled as the fictional northern village of downtown in the hit ITV series. Some of the most famous scenes were shot there, including Lady Mary's wedding to Matthew Crawley which was filmed at St Mary's Church. Robin Shuckborough, Chairman of the Bampton Community Archives said, the extraordinary success of this series and the fact that the grammar school was used as a cottage hospital in the filming and that the church close was the village green of downtown changed the situation dramatically. It became possible for the BCA to exploit the substantial tourism that came to Bampton and with a huge and dedicated local group of volunteers who manned the shop, guided the visitors, managed as best they could the traffic of the tourists, the money started to mount up. The old grammar school was looked after by the Bampton Exhibition Foundation until the 1960s, when a decision was taken to remove the staircase to prevent members of the public getting to the upper floor, which had been declared unsafe. Twelve years ago, Oxfordshire County Council's library department leased the ground floor for the village library and offered part of the space to West Ox Art Society and the Bampton Community Archive, who held three exhibitions of local interest there every year. Joe Lewington, founder of the BCA, decided to restore the staircase and reopen the spectacular space upstairs. This project required the repair of the Cotswold stone roof, costing over a quarter of a million pounds. Now the money has been raised for phase two and contractor Drew Warren will start work later this month. Mr Chuckborough said, if the downtown tourism returns and it is by no means certain, we will use this asset to provide a more managed experience for the crowds.
0: Thank you Angela. Now our next article takes us from Downton and Bampton to Chipping Norton and is going to be read by Valerie.
3: Yes, the library site for artists' latest lockdown work. A graphic artist who has worked for Coca-Cola and Nike has created his third lockdown mural in Oxfordshire. Luke Emden of Chipping Norton has come up with his latest mural in his hometown. He had previously worked on a piece from inside the former Beale's department store in Chipping Norton, followed by one in George Street, Oxford. His latest creation is at the library in Chipping Norton. Mr Emden said, With lockdown easing and spring in the air, and still being holed up in my hometown of Chipping Norton, I thought that it was time to add another splash of colour to another window in the town centre. I thought before I leave for Germany, there's time for one more mural. The library being an educational hub for many local children and adults, I spotted the window on many walks around the town and thought that this is a perfect canvas to add a splash of color and give the space a new lease of life. I spoke with the library manager and discussed creating a word-based mural, focusing on the different categories that you would find inside the library. This was then freehand doodled on the glass over the course of an afternoon. Mr. Emden, who is usually based in Berlin and London, completed the Beals mural in June, following that up with the George Street design in September.
0: Thank you, Valerie. And now we come to our um, family notices and deaths, and these are going to be read out by Peter.
2: We have six deaths to announce this week. On the 21st of March, August Zimitis, and I do hope I pronounce that correctly, of Carterton, aged 94 years. On the 23rd of March, Margaret Anne Prue, former deputy headmistress of Gateway School Carterton, aged 86 years. On the 25th of March, Mary Adams of Finstock, aged 90 years, and Carol Ellen Hedges of Burford, no age given, and two for which we have no dates or ages, Valerie Parsons and Clydesdale Skeen of Whitney, Clanfield and Ducklington. We extend our sympathy to family and friends.
0: Thank you Peter and our last item is about the national trust and is going to be read by angela
1: national trust plants up trees after criticism of felon work the national trust has planted more than a thousand saplings weeks after villagers criticized it for chopping up riverside trees residents of Buscot, much of which is owned by the national trust hit out after willows were pollarded along the thames in february the Trust said the traditional practice involved cutting back riverbank willows to the height of two to three meters and was carried out on a regular cycle of approximately ten years. Now, the Trust has said 1,100 trees have been planted in Buscot in the last two weeks. Richard Watson, countryside manager at the Buscot and Coleshill estates, said. The trees we are planting alongside the river are those which over time might naturally occur but we are giving nature help in hand to speed up that process. Willow trees support more insects than any other except for oaks so this planting will provide a boost for wildlife. The trees at both sites will attract many insects, bees, butterflies and eventually beetles. Once established, the trees will provide additional nesting sites for birds and be an additional food source. In a good few years, when the willow starts to naturally collapse, it could provide the ideal habit for otter holts. There are plans for about 38,000 trees to be planted at the estate in the next three years. The National Trust said the aim was to reduce flooding and replace some trees loss through disease
0: thank you now we have one more item for you um, which is not going to be read by us but comes from tnf soundings and that's the radio listings for the week ahead which we hope you enjoy tnf soundings features from across the uk
5: now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights starting on Saturday, April 10th. At 1pm on Radio 3, Stravinsky at 50, River of Music marks the half-century since the death of Igor Stravinsky, with 50 pieces of his music juxtaposed with insights of performers. The afternoon play at 3pm on Radio 4 is the first part of Nora Webster, a dramatisation of the novel by Colm Tobin. The choice at 4pm is between Moira Stewart's Hall of Fame concert on Classic FM and Bernard Shaw's Comedy of Manners, Candida, on Radio 4 Extra. Opera on 3 at 6.30 is a performance of The Rake's Progress by Stravinsky with lyrics by W.H. Auden. At 7pm on Radio 4 Extra, Keris Matthews chooses her favourite stories from 25 series of soul music. An archive on 4 at Radio 4 at 8pm celebrates the first manned orbit of the Earth with Gagarin and the Lost Moon. Also at 8, a complete contrast provided on Radio 2 by Johnny Walker's Rock Show. Sunday, April 11th, sees the first of three instalments of The Magic Mountain, a dramatisation of the tragic comic novel by Thomas Mann. It can be heard at 3pm on Radio 4. In Words and Music at 5.30 on Radio 3, The Window is considered in its literal and metaphorical forms. Sunday night is Music Night, of course, 7pm Radio 2. This week the BBC Concert Orchestra celebrates the work of Tony Award-winning composer Jason Robert Brown. In a Summer Season is a gentle drama adapted from Elizabeth Taylor's 1961 novel. It can be heard at 8pm on Radio 4 Extra. And Music for Monarchy with Debbie Wiseman on Classic FM at 9pm brings what the title promises from Zadok the Priest to other pieces for royal occasions. On to programmes then that are serialised throughout the week, Monday to Friday, same time, same radio station, each day. The book of the week on Radio 4 at 9.45 and repeated at half past midnight is The Adventures of Miss Barbara Pym by Paula Byrne. Pym, the witty novelist, documented social and political life from the 1930s through to the 1960s. The 15-minute drama at 10.45am, Monday to Friday, Radio 4, is Marco Valdo, Toby Jones' dramatisation of Italio Calvini's short stories. The composer of the week on Radio 3, all week at noon, is Joseph Haydn. And the serial at just after midday on Radio 4, repeated at 10.45pm, is the continuation from last week of We Are All Birds of Uganda. The amazing true story of the Northern Bank job continues at 1.45 on Radio 4, all week, Monday to Friday. The 7.45 drama on Radio 4, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, is taken from the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. This is the third series, and if you didn't listen to the first two, probably worth catching up on BBC Sounds. They are The Whisperer in Darkness and The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. And the Classic FM concert with John Suchet is at 8 o'clock and this week John chooses the pick of new recordings so far this year. On to Monday, April 12th and you may like to tune to Radio 5 Live because... There's 3 hours of the latest news, big name interviews from around the UK, plus listeners' personal experiences and all hosted by Naga Munchetti. and she'll be here on Tuesday and Wednesday as well. Beyond Belief at 4:30 on Radio 4 marks the 700th anniversary of the death of Dante Alighieri, author of the Divine Comedy. Recently, its Inferno with its description of hell which has captured popular imagination Pleasant late afternoon hour could be passed on Radio 4 Extra at 5pm, airs on the air, that's Pam airs of course, followed at 5.30 by just a minute. And The Blues Show with Keris Matthews is at 9pm on Radio 2. Tuesday April 13th, 2.15 Radio 4, Brian Cox, the actor, returns for another episode of McKee Leaveley, the Victorian Scottish detective. It was so nice Michael Rosen has returned with word of mouth after his experience with COVID-19. This week he discusses why people change their names. 8pm, Radio 4 on Tuesday. Radio 3 in concert at 7.30pm focuses on song, both solo and choral, including works by Copeland, Britton and Barber. And the jazz show with Jamie Cullum, 9pm, Radio 2. Wednesday, April 14th, sees the return of the number one ladies detective agency at 2.15 on Radio 4. 30 minutes of laughters guaranteed at 7 pm on Radio 4 Extra with Hancock's Half Hour, followed at 7.30 by the sitcom Alison and Maud, and a slight change of tone at 8 with the detective thriller A Case for Mr. Morello. 7.30 pm, Radio 3 in concert, the choir, Tenebrae, feature music spanning five centuries from different locations in Europe and the UK while Radio 2 9pm as it's a Wednesday is the folk show with Mark Radcliffe on Thursday April 15th the change of that host on that Radio 5 live show I was talking about earlier on in the week Adrian Childs takes over the 10am slot with original journalism and surprising news stories We can rejoin the number one ladies' detective agency at 2.15 on Radio 4 for part two. Off to open country at 3, still on Radio 4, folk singer and song collector Sam Lee travels to four places of historic significance where folk songs are used to enhance the sense of place. More detective work on Radio 4 Extra at 3 with Val McDermott's The Right Chemistry. A psychologist is the subject of great lives at 6.30 on Radio 4 Extra, when comedian Tony Hawks and Matthew Paris consider the life of Marshall Rosenberg, who spent his life finding ways to eradicate hate. Round the Horn is at 7pm, also on Radio 4 Extra. Or there's Joe Wiley on Radio 2 at 7pm. Music features guests and a themed playlist relating to the actor David Tennant. David Aranovich is in the briefing room at 8pm on Radio 4 where he's joined by guests to discuss big issues in the news. And The Country Show with Bob Harris is at 9pm on Radio 2, rounding off your Thursday listening. Friday, April 16th, again Adrian Charles in the 10am slot on Radio 5 Live. Prime Minister at 300 is at 11am on Radio 4. Even if you haven't heard the first two instalments, and of course you can catch up on BBC Sounds... This will still be interesting as Anthony Seldon comes up to date by looking at whether the responsibilities of the office are now too great. There are contributions from former Prime Ministers, Cabinet and Foreign Secretaries. Today's dramas are all thrillers starting at 2.15 on Radio 4 with Long Line, the unusual setting of a deep sea trawler. Clean Break by Val McDermott is at 3pm on Radio 4 Extra. A new series of The News Quiz starts at 6.30 on Radio 4, a satirical look at the week's news. Golden Hour can be spent with Tony Blackburn at 7 p.m. on Radio 2. He'll play pop and soul oldies from across the decades. Alternatively, there's Dad's Army, Radio 4 Extra, at 7 p.m. Radio 3 at 7.30 p.m. has her concert of Baroque music by Handel, Bach, and Purcell, featuring solo, soprano, and trumpet. Or stay with Radio 4 Extra. For the wordsmiths of Gorsemere. At 7.30pm. There's in a clutch of thrillers. At 8pm. Case for Dr Morell. At 8.30 John Creasy's The Toff. And The Runaway Bride. And a good way to end the week. Maybe with some laughter. And late night comedy. Radio 4 Extra from 10pm to midnight. When Comedy Club starts with Mark Steele's In Town. At 10.30. Goodness gracious me. Then at 11pm Old Harry's Game. And finally, at 11.30, the in-crowd. As ever, may I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening.
0: TNF Soundings. Well, that's all we have time for today. So uh, we will be recording remotely again next week and I hope you will join us then. So it only remains to me to thank the Whitney Gazette and Hanborough Heralds for the stories we've used this evening. Also to our technical expert, uh, Rob Oxpring, and to our readers, Peter Brading, Valerie Palmer and Angela James. And I know everyone would like to say farewell until the next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.